This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. This is Neil McMillan inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics, Sundays at 8 on Otago Access Radio, 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Listeners will appreciate that our program always strives to be interesting, relevant, topical and hopefully thought-provoking. That it requires planning, sometimes weeks in advance to arrange interviews and that occasionally things go awry and we don't have a backup program available, such as the case this week. And so we've decided to replay a recent interview with Dunedin South's retiring MP Claire Curran and the Labour candidate for the newly formed Tyree electorate, Ingrid Leary. This is not to imply a favouritism for the Labour Party because we've also interviewed the candidates selected for four other parties to contest the Tyree electorate. But it is relevant that Claire Curran delivered her valedictory speech in Parliament last Tuesday, and also relevant because Ingrid Leary will be involved in a public discussion in Dunedin this coming week with the former Prime Minister, Helen Clark. Please ignore any dates mentioned in the following interview that might have been overtaken. Thank you. As of this weekend, it is exactly three months until the election on September 19th, three months in which we must not only grapple with the consequences of COVID-19, but determine our members of parliament and our government for the next three years. Parliamentary electorates are being redefined, and what was South Dunedin, I'm sorry, what was Dunedin South, I should say, has been reshaped into a constituency called Tyree, and the sitting Labour MP, the Honourable Claire Curran, is retiring. Labour has chosen Ingrid Leary to contest the seat, and it seems appropriate to have both Claire and Ingrid sharing this week's programme. So, welcome, Claire. Thank you. And welcome, Ingrid. Kia ora. Firstly, Claire... Tell us, why are you retiring at this stage? Well, first of all, Neil, I don't like to use the word retiring. (laughs) It makes me sound as if I'm being put out to pasture, um, and I don't intend to be put out to pasture. Um, I'm standing down. In other words, I'm not um, standing for Parliament again after 12 years. And, um, I mean, the short answer is because it's time, and... None of us, I don't think anyone in politics should consider their tenure as being um, for life. Um, I think we're, you know, we're passing through. We have stewardship of a constituency or, you know, a time in Parliament if you're a list MP. Um, uh, But we don't own it. It doesn't belong to us. And I think that it's important to know when it's time to stand down and to bring in new blood. And uh, and so I came to that conclusion. Obviously, there's mixed feelings. You know, um, it's, a, it's a wrench when you've been representing uh, communities for a, a long time. But 
you know, I might have more of a life. <laughs> and that's a good thing. So, and and the community will have a new face. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So that's the that's basically the answer. Thanks. And Ingrid, why? What brought you into politics? Why the decision to come into politics in this area and for Labour? Sure. So, so in my previous role with the British Council, it was becoming really apparent to me the difference that good leadership makes when I looked at the international landscape and I was really struck by Jacinda Ardern's leadership and the style of politics that the current government and her government uh, were, were showing and through COVID I think that has been even more pronounced so I think in the rebuild and the recovery of New Zealand that leadership will be really critical and I want to be part of that journey. As far as um, standing in this part of New Zealand it was really, um, I've lived here before, I was. I went to university here and I did an honours degree in law down here. My father's uh, family came from here, from Harrow Street, and my father was from a really working class family and, you know, he had an opportunity um, through a series of things that allowed him to go to medical school. And what I saw was the difference that opportunity uh, and education can make to a family's fortunes, and I think every New Zealander should have that opportunity. So, so for me, um, I, I had already sort of fallen in love with Dunedin. The other thing to say is that Dunedin South is a really special electorate within the Labour Party. So, everything that I stand for around social justice, around um, you know working class politics, ethics, egalitarianism, that is all um, the character of Dunedin South. So it's a real privilege to have been selected to stand mm. there and, and actually to to hopefully follow in Claire Curran's footsteps. Yeah, Claire, the, the change in name from Dunedin South to Tyree, it also means a substantial change in the boundaries of the electorate. It sweeps right down, I think, to Belclutha these days. A big extension to the south, but also... At a loss in other places, you might give us our listeners an idea of how it's been redefined. Yeah, so um, it's still very much a Dunedin-based um, seat, but um, it no longer includes the Otago Peninsula. There is a bit of an arbitrary boundary there that is sort of somewhere above Bayfield High School. Um, and that's where the electorate starts, goes down through the south, south, south Dunedin suburbs, up the hill, um, calls to Fien, um and Kew, and, uh, and then um, down into Green Island, Abbotsford, Fairfield and Mosgiel, which it was there before, continues up to Ouch, through Outram up to Middlemarch and Hyde, but now goes down to Waihola, um, Tyree Mouth, um, Milton, Balclutha, and then um, over to the coast to Kaitangata and Kaka Point. So it's a very diverse electorate now. It, it was before, but even more diverse now, and um, certainly down right down through South Otago. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting um there are a lot of synergies, though. It's uh, you know, as you drive through Milton and Belclutha, a lot of synergies with Dunedin. Um, there's a lot more um, business development happening um, south of of the Tyree, and where people are living in Mosgiel but working in um, in the Milton area, etc. So. 
uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I think I think there's a lot of opportunities, and it's a, an exciting new um, new territory. And as we discovered when we were down there um, recently, um, that there's a lot of people who are quite excited to see us. Ingrid, a critical issue for any first-time candidate is to identify with the electorate. You might give us a little bit of your own background. Uh, You've been uh, uh, with TV3. Uh, You were most recently director of the British Council New Zealand. Explain what that's involved, if you would, please. Sure. I think um, I've done a number of different things, including those roles as well as being a small business owner of a TV um, production company and I've been a lawyer for Russell McVeigh where I set up the pro bono um, department. The common thread really has been around wanting to be a convener of space for voices to come through that often don't get heard. So if you look at through my career, that's kind of been the common theme and I see politics as a continuation of that. As far as uh, you know, identifying with electorates, for me that the, the, the really relevant question is what can you do for an electorate? And I think with the background um, that I have in terms of advocacy work, um, as a lawyer, as a journalist, or, you know, for example, when I was the chair of the Pacific Island AIDS Foundation or in my work around uh, mental health journalism, all of that has been around advocacy. And I think uh, the role of the of the local MP really is to be a strong advocate for their electorate. I can identify with the working class values of the Dunedin South electorate, but I've also lived and worked in a lot of places globally. And as Claire's mentioned, it's a very diverse electorate. And I feel very comfortable um, with diversity and representing different groups. So all of those skills, I think, will, will suit um, this particular electorate. Mm-hmm. In recent times, COVID-19, well, it's still in the news. We've all been through the breakdown. Claire, how did you cope with your parliamentary duties during the lockdown? Yeah, good question. Um um, with great agility <laughs> uh, and the uh, support and enthusiasm and cooperation of my staff, um, essentially, you know, we, we, we literally, like the rest of the country, just had a couple of days' notice. Um, and uh, we, But we had talked about it in the few weeks before, how would we be able to work from home? And so some thought, and I'd asked the staff to think about it, and so they had. And um, we, we were lucky enough to have the technology that you could just pick up and take home, and, um, and that's what we did. But, I mean, the uh, I guess I wasn't prepared. I, you never are when there's a crisis for the onslaught of human tragedy and, and angst that comes your way. And the for the first couple of weeks particularly, I was working till 11 o'clock at night with constant requests coming in, emails, phone calls. I mean, it's easy enough to divert the phone, the, the office phone, to, to a mobile phone. Well, that mobile phone rang constantly. Um, the emails coming into the office, the um, through social media, the desperate pleas, etc. So we worked out a system, um, and we all worked together. I had a staff member in Wellington, um, three staff members, two full time and one um, part time in Dunedin, and we used the Zoom like the rest of the country uh, to meet every day, to go through things, to refine the system, to give each other. 
feedback and to make sure that that you know we were delegating so that the the load wasn't falling on just one or two people mm. um and um i guess going like the clappers was really how it felt uh it it did calm down um but then there was another wave you know there was you know when mm. when there'd be another decision made or something else would happen and people so desperate supermarket workers feeling really vulnerable for those first few weeks people trying to get back to new zealand or trying to get family members back people trying to go and visit um dying family members in rest homes and you know trying to negotiate banging on the door of the DHB a lot mm. getting access to PPE gear um fluid vaccines you know all of the things that we heard about in the news that was happening every day um and it was you know i guess i kind of it's exhausting but i i kind of quite that's one of the things i think being you know on the ground as a local mp is that that's what you're there for yes you're there mm-hmm. to be the one of the key people in the community that people turn to when there's um when you know the world turns to custard and Ingrid there was some publicity given to the fact that you spent the lockdown on Waiheke Island your explanation for that <laughs> so it was really important to me i mean i i was in Dunedin last year i have two late teenage children as in in their late teens and i felt uh, first and foremost as a mother that we were going into unprecedented times and that it was really important to regroup with them and make sure they had what they need going into a period of uncertainty and then uh, in fact the prime minister's announcement was made when i was on the ferry going to waiheke and then the lockdown began so i wasn't able to move from waiheke um as it transpired um through the technic you know the the technology we were able to mobilize our um labor volunteer network to do a lot of welfare calls and so i spent a great deal of my time uh, on the phone calling our over 65 year olds not to campaign but actually just to check in and make sure that they were doing well during the lockdown and that's what um our volunteers did and i liaised with them on on zoom and and you know to our very pleasant surprise there were very few cases of people who were really struggling with the isolation what we encountered was a great deal of resilience and a great deal of um community cohesion where um many of the elderly people if they didn't have family members looking after them would report that they had notes left in their letter boxes or mm-hmm. or other overtures of help it doesn't necessarily mean they took them up because i think there's a staunchness where people uh, want to be independent but the fact that people had gone out of their way to do that was really heartening mm-hmm. so you know f- i may have physically been at waiheke but I, I emotionally i think I, my my focus was down here mm-hmm. very much and you're now living in south dunedin in fact you've built bought a house here i have it's just around the corner from the labor rooms which is very handy <laughs> clear uh looking back on a term in parliament that's been uh, well just on 12 years how would you describe that oh lots of ups what'll, and downs what have, the, what have been the high <laughs> what have been the high points what have been the frustrations um Yeah, we've had lots of conversations over the years, haven't we, about yeah. some of those frustrations and some of the high points too. Um I guess, you know, I I I am reflecting on this quite a lot because I'll be doing my valedictory in a few weeks and um you know, that's a time to really think about um some of the things that uh you know that could continue to be done better 
um, but also some of the achievements that have happened along the way. I, I guess, and it's interesting listening to other people's valedictories, you often hear a similar theme that comes through, is that the things that stick in your head are the, are the things that you manage to do for individuals, um, and sometimes that's literally saving lives. And actually during the lockdown, um, I feel that myself and my team, because it wasn't just me, actually did achieve that with some people. Um, and uh, and that was access to um, uh, a particular mental health treatment, actually, that was, uh, uh, was critical. And um, those sorts of, and, you know, whether it's getting an operation, whether it's getting a house, you know, for people making a huge difference to their lives, you know that the trajectory of their mm. lives is going to change as a result. Those things stick in my mind. Um, you know, I think the hillside workshops would probably be one of the biggies for Dunedin in terms of um, something that everyone had written off or a lot of people had written off. I never did and fought to get an investment back into that for rail engineering. Um, the fact that we've got a new hospital, obviously, I can't take credit for that, but I worked alongside um my colleague David Clark for a number of years to ensure that it was top of the agenda um, for Labor to get that uh, underway. And you know, in my whether I was in opposition or a, um, or a minister, the focus in New Zealand on the importance of public broadcasting, public media, publicly funded media, um, non-commercial media, and um, how important our media is in the demo- in our democracy. Um, I didn't get to do all of the things I wanted to do in that space, but it feels as if it's moved up the agenda in importance, and I'm I feel quite proud of that. Mm. We've had discussions previously during your time as a cabinet minister, which was cut short. You had well, you finish up with unfulfilled aspirations, particularly in public broadcasting. Do you have hopes that these might still be achieved? Well. You'll have to listen to my valedictory, Neil, because I might have a few things to say about that. Yes and no is probably the short answer. Um, I think voices have to continue to be um, uh, gathered and raised and be quite loud um, in order to ensure that that this remains on the agenda and, and gets pushed up in terms of its priority and isn't seen as a nice-to-have. And I think you know, the furore that erupted earlier this year around um, uh, the concert program and um, its possible demise uh, and the, it was an utter furore that erupted right around the country um, gives you a clue around the value that people put on um, our public sphere and the, the ability to be unencumbered by commercial um, interests and and the importance of um, creativity. I mean, I would add into that local jour- good local journalism. Um, we need more of it, and we need to put more of a value on it. So um, I think you can be rest assured that my voice will be there, whether I'm in Parliament or outside Parliament. And Neil, Neil can I just say yes, that certainly. I was speaking to Jeff on the way in, and I thought you know Otago Access Radio really came into its own during COVID because I was tuning in to different uh, Zoom meetings or, or you know, um, presentations online, listening to different conversations. And in terms of that community resilience and community building and messages coming out from the council and from the MP and others, it was really remarkable uh, what a core part of 
of the local comms the radio station was. So, you know, it was a great reminder of how important community voices are in all of this as well. Well, I think ORFM is doing a great job there. Let's uh, move back just slightly to a, a, a column in The Star this week, Claire, where you wish that your relationship with the Otago Daily Times had been better. <laughs> Would you care to elaborate on that? Um, well, specifically, um, yeah, I guess uh, I think I gave a wry comment that I around the my letters to the editor not being published. I think there's three now and just in the last um, probably the last 15 months. But you know I, as someone who doesn't very often write letters to the editor I kind of thought that they might be taken a bit more seriously. Um, I don't want to say too much about it other than the fact that uh, I, I do wish it had been a better relationship. Um, uh, it's felt um, uh, testy, shall we say, and um, and I think that and and th- I think that it's important that rela- obviously relationships are two way, and there needs to be a, a, a willingness and a and a sense mm. of good faith and goodwill on both sides. And I'm, and I, and so I'm being tactful here, but I would say that I haven't always felt that that has been afforded to me. You're, you're being very tactful. Let me say, on, on behalf of many other people in Dunedin, your comments are probably understating the, the, uh, the, uh, the state of play because the Otago Daily Times is not the newspaper it used to be. Uh, let's turn back to the, uh, to the campaign itself. As Ingrid, your aspirations for the electorate, what do you see as its greatest needs? Well, I would say after COVID, COVID it's really about the um, recovery and the rebuild and getting jobs and economic development for for the electorate. And whether that's through, um, you know, supporting the hospital build and looking at how the south part of Dunedin can, can um, access those jobs and the rebuild and also the services. Uh, it's around resilience for floods and for other... Um, sort of urgent um, one-off events. I think it's about being a really loud voice to access more provincial growth funding and also to keep the momentum up for the hillside um, work that's going on so that hillside really gets to establish itself as a centre of engineering excellence, not only for... Uh, job creation, but actually across sectors, so that there is, you know, there's a potential there for marine engineering and for really being a service hub for the, for the whole of the South Island or even the whole of New Zealand. I also think being a really uh, staunch advocate for disabled people and the elderly um, is really important. It is a characteristic of our of the electorate of the Tidy electorate that there are a lot of members in those communities, and um, I know that a lot of Claire's constituency work has been around that, so that would be a focus as well. And in the parliamentary field, uh, what areas would you say that uh, your skills and talents might be best used? Well, I'm hoping first to be, you know, first and foremost, a strong electorate MP, as I've said. Um, And I'd like to see ultimately be, be somebody who's agitating on the inside around extending the principles of the welfare approach to budgeting across 
the whole of the economy. I think New Zealand's got a really unique opportunity to look at kind of triple bottom line measures across all of its sectors, including the private sector, to say how can we, rather than tinker with the edges, how can we actually have a cultural shift that says it's not, it's not good enough to have the vast inequalities that we do have what can we do to make sure that our society is fairer so if, if I can contribute in some way to that that would be um, a, a good thing to leave parliament with at the end of my mm. time there. Claire Curran and Grizzleri we began this discussion by observing that it's exactly three months of the election now that means some serious campaigning Ingrid, do you have a campaign mapped out? Will it be meetings? Will it be door knocking? Door knocking, it will be your presence at public gatherings such as supermarkets and so on. Have you got a strategy? It was, do you have a, certainly do, and it's all of the above, and we've already been doing lots and lots of that, including uh, street corner meetings. We've been up and down to the new parts of the electorate numerous times. We're going to be door knocking in Mosgill this weekend. Um, it's, I think it's... What we're trying to do is to show that the Taere electorate, which was Dunedin South, was always a safe seat and remains a safe seat, and that the person representing the community will be as strong and staunch and as accessible as Claire Curran has been. That's my job, to do that with the team. Claire, you're giving your valedictory speech in Parliament on August the 4th, um, but you'll still be MP until Election Day. What then? Well, we'll just have to see, won't we? Um, I, To be honest, I'm certainly not announcing any um, plans at this point. I'm having, I was actually going to go overseas for a little while, but I think that's um, not happening any time soon um, due to uh, issues beyond all our control. Um, uh, you might see me um, at, down at the university, actually, doing a paper. Um, uh, I'm actually, I'm actually going to do a paper on. Um, it's called Tartan Noir, which <laughs> it's crime writing uh, in the Gaelic tradition, um, and uh, yeah, so something that's something a little bit out of the box. Um, I, I'm look, I'm I'm really not planning a brand new career. Um, I I'm interested in utilising my skills. Um, and experience and networks and ways that can benefit this community and you know beyond. Um, if anyone is um, uh, interested, <laughs> um, I'm on the market, so to speak. Um, I'm only really interested in doing things that I believe in, though. I've never been much good at um, doing things I don't believe in, and um, I need a bit of a break, really. So, um, looking forward to there being a Labour government. Um, and I mean that a Labour government um, after the election and um, ensuring that Ingrid gets elected and is uh, elected with a good majority and has a good team around her. That's my primary focus right now. Thanks so much, Claire. You've been a, a regular and a very welcome guest on our programme for many years. Uh, so it's been nice to have a retrospective and an aspirational look into the future from Ingrid Leary. Um, who, of course, will be uh, throwing herself at the mercy of the voters on September the 19th. And we, uh, we wish you well, as we wish all candidates well in the campaign. 
Listeners, we've been speaking with the Honourable Claire Curran, MP for Dunedin South, Dunedin South and Ingrid Leary, who'll be contesting the new seat of Tyree for Labour in the forthcoming election. And that's our programme for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Pulse of Politics at the same time every week on air, online or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from www.oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.